Well, at all our locations, you can go ahead and grab a seat. Thanks for joining us here at Northridge Church. We're honored to have you here this morning, and we're going we're gonna to jump right into it. We're going to dive right into it. You know, last, last week, we started a, a series called Who Am I? And I, I just believe that this series is cru- crucial in our cultural climate and for our lives. Because it doesn't matter who you are, what your background is, at some point, probably many points in your life, you're going to ask that question. Who am I? You're going to look in the mirror and you're going to wonder, what's my purpose? Why am I here? Where did I come from? And so last week, in in order to answer this question, we we said we, we need a biblical foundation, right? Our identity comes from our creator. And so we set this biblical foundation. And in week one, we kind of said this thesis statement. In order for you and me to understand who we truly are, we must understand who created us. That in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created. And he formed us. That God is is the potter and we are the clay. And he's the designer. He molds and crafts us with a purpose. And so God should have a say in who we are. But as we dig deeper into this conversation and this topic, it's going to force us to navigate some really controversial waters. It's going to force us to have some conversations that are unpopular, that are tense in our society. And so before we do that, I would just love to pause and ask God for his help. So would you pray with me? God, thank you for your word. That it is a lamp, a light unto our feet. That it guides us and teaches us truth. And so God, today as as we look at your word on on some things that are are hard to understand, things that are controversial, we pray that that our words would be full of grace and full of truth. We pray that, God, I pray this every week, that that you would anoint my words, Lord, that you would speak through me, that I'd just be the vessel, and that your word would soften people's hearts to your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever been tricked? deceived, fooled, scammed. This kind of stuff happens in our our society all the time. Because of our our digital online world, scammers and trick artists are are out there ready to take advantage of us. And and maybe this has happened to you before. Maybe it was this Christmas, right, where you you were shopping online and you were looking for that thing for your kids or your spouse and you found it at a great deal and so you bought it and you realized it never came and your money never came back. Or maybe it was a friend emailing you and, and asking, hey, we're, we're in trouble, we, we need your help, could you send us cash? And you wanted to help, and so you sent cash, but you realized that wasn't really your friend. Or have you ever got this phone call? Excuse me, you're being sued by the IRS. And you're like, ah, well, I don't want to deal with that, and I don't want to have like, tax evasion or whatever, and so you just pay the taxes they tell you, and then you realize, oh, that really wasn't the IRS calling you. You ever been scammed, tricked? And it's one of the worst feelings in the world to, to know that someone duped you, fooled you, tricked you, and took advantage of you. And can I tell you, when it comes to that question, who am I, our identity, we're being tricked. We're being lied to, to go down a path that isn't what's best for us. And that hasn't just started in our cultural climate, it actually has stems all the way back to the beginning. You see, last week we looked at Genesis chapter 1. 
where God created humanity, where God created, spoke into existence what we see in creation, and then he formed humanity. And in Genesis 1, it was a perfect world. Adam and Eve, humanity, dwelt perfectly with God. There was no barriers, no sin to get in the way. And in that world, God gave humanity just one rule. Don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And for a season, we don't know how long, Adam and Eve lived in harmony with God. It was great. It was beautiful. It was perfect. Until they were tricked. Until they were deceived, fooled. We see it in Genesis chapter 3. It says this, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the tree in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And you see, from the very beginning, the serpent, our enemy, uses his lies to fool Adam and Eve. To go down a different path, and, and what we see in this, at the very beginning, something that the devil uses against us regularly, one of, the, one of the, our devils, the greatest enemy or weapons he uses against us are his lies. That he constantly lies to us to deceive us from the truth. And we see it right here at the beginning. Adam and Eve, like God said, do not do this. You won't die. God just doesn't want you to be like him. God's holding back from you. And what's amazing about the enemy's lies is they're usually sprinkled with just a little bit of truth to get you to buy them. Like, yeah, you, you'll, you'll know good and evil. He was right, they would, but they wouldn't be like God. In fact, when Jesus describes his enemy, the devil, look what he says. It says, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so when the enemy whispers lies into your ear, into my ear, he's speaking his regular language, because he is the father of lies. And when he uses this weapon of lies against us, he uses this strategy, one word, repetition. You see, the enemy knows that if he can just whisper in your ear the same lie over and over and over and over again, maybe you'll let it seep in. And over the course of that lie repeated, what happens in our life oftentimes is we give it a crack. We wonder if it's true. And then it's repeated over and over again to the point where we, we, we're not sure what is true and what is false. And then we start believing that lie. And when we believe it, we start to share it and live it. And we get this, right? Because we've seen this in our own lives. We've seen this happen, this progression, right? Maybe it was you, it's happened to me where you know, you're in a circumstance where you're talking to your spouse or a friend and they ask you a question and you don't wanna really deal with the baggage of telling the truth and so you, you tell a seemingly not that big of a deal white lie. And so you tell that white lie and, and it's not that big of a deal, right? But eventually it comes to the point where you have to tell that white lie again and again. And again, and, and you've told it enough where someone asks you and you're like, oh, should I tell the truth? I just don't want to deal because I've, I've lied so many times. So I just keep this white lie going and you repeat it and you repeat it until eventually you get to the point where you're like, I'm not sure what it, the truth is and, and what's the lie. And then you begin to believe the lie where you actually are convinced that the lie is the truth and the truth is the lie. And that has been happening over the course of generation after generation when it comes to our identity, 
When it comes to the question, who are we? The enemy has been lying to you. He's been repeating the lie over and over again, and if you sum up all the lies, it comes back to this biblical foundation where the enemy's gonna tell you, God is not the potter. You should be. Who is God to tell you who you should be? Right, right, right. The only person who should tell you who you are is you. And when we sum these lies up, it really shifts into two major lies that the enemy has been telling our culture and, and our kids and you and me. And the first lie is this, that I and you get to decide the value of life. That when it comes to placing value on humanity and people, the, we should be the determining factor in that. I get to decide, you get to decide whose life has value and whose doesn't. The second lie is to truly understand who you are, you have to look within. That nobody else other than you should be able to tell you who you are. And what we're going to do over the course of this week and next week is we're going to navigate these lies. We're going to attack them with God's word and hopefully have our hearts and the truth come out clean. And so this morning, I want to start with this first lie, that I, that you, get to decide the value of life. And so what's interesting about value is we are placing value on people pretty regularly. Right? We, we, we decide whose voice matters most, often based off of their social platform, their income, or the job that they have. Right? If they're rich, they're influential, they often matter more than most of us, Right? We often decide the value of someone based off of their skin color or their ethnicity. We, we decide the value of someone based off of their mental and physical abilities. If they're able to play a, a sport really well, they should be more valuable. Or if they're a genius, they should be more valuable than the regular people. We decide the value of someone based off of their gender and their age. We're placing value all the time, whether we re recognize it or not. But in the journey, here's what's happened in our culture, is there's a category of people that have literally been stripped of their value. It is the preborn. In our culture today, the preborn do not hold the same value as you and me. It's a controversial topic. It's debated. It's everywhere. And if you don't believe me, Let's just look at our state, right? Northridge Church, physical locations are in Webster and Rochester, the state of New York. Even though in our online stream regularly, we have 18 states represented joining our stream. But in New York, if we focus in on New York, in 2020, in the state of New York, there were over 110,000 abortions. To put that in perspective, that's basically two NFL stadiums completely full. Our state has the highest abortion rate in the United States. 34.5% of pregnancies in the state of New York end in abortion. That's basically one out of every three. So there's a huge question out there. And what, what has happened is it's, it's forced us to, to engage with two questions. Two questions that we can't ignore or pretend like the problem doesn't exist anymore. And here's the two questions. Is the preborn a human life? 
And does the preborn hold the same value as you and me? Is it a human life and does it hold the same value as I hold? And so as we navigate this really hard conversation, here's what you need to know if you call Northridge Church home. That when it comes to hard conversations and difficult topics, the first place that we run to is not our emotions, it's not what culture says, it's God's word. It is the authority that we live by. And so any hard conversation, we are going to run to the truth of God's word. And so this morning, I want you just to look at two places that scripture, I believe, clearly states what God has to say about this topic. And so let's dive into one, Psalms 139. We looked at this last week. It's this intricate design that God made us in. Psalms 139 says this. It says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. You saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So as we, as we study this passage together, I, I want to draw your attention just to two things. Two things that I think clearly state where God stands. The first thing is just the attention to detail in the way God created you. The, the Bible says that God knit you together. Now, I'm not a, a seamstress, maybe you know a seamstress, but even in this conversation of knitting, I don't think it lands as strongly in our culture as it would ancient cultures. Because in our culture, we have all this technology, right? We have sewing machines, we have computers that we can just put in what we want to be sewed and it will, the, the computer will take care of it. But if you hear these words from an ancient culture and you realize that knitting was a very tedious and slow process, it was done with your hands in and out, over and over and over again. It was very detailed, slow, a process of making something beautiful. If you've ever watched grandma or, or maybe your mom knit something by hand, you realize it takes a lot of energy and a lot of time, a lot of thought and a lot of detail. And that's exactly how the Bible describes God making you and me, that he knit us together. And he says the result of that is that you and I are fearfully and wonderfully made. That God didn't just somehow accidentally bring you into this world like, whoopsie. No, you were intentionally designed with a purpose in mind. The Bible says that God knew who you were before you were ever thought of. That he knew your personality he knew the dimples you would have when you smile. He knew your traits, your character, the way your body would be shaped before your parents ever knew you would come into this world. So we see the value in how God made us. But the second thing I want to draw your attention to in this verse is the location of that detail. The Bible says that he knits you together in your mother's womb. That you held value to God ever before you came into society. So we see in Psalms 139 the value God has placed on all life. But let's go to a completely different place in scripture. Let's go to the book of Exodus. If you don't know much about the book of Exodus, it's, it's the part of, of, of the journey of the nation of Israel where God is establishing his chosen people. 
He's freed them from the bondage of Egypt and now they are a nation forming and any civilization that we know of needs what we call laws to abide by, laws to keep order. And so in Exodus, God is revealing to Moses and the nation of Israel the Mosaic law that they should live by. And let's look at one of those laws, Exodus 21. It says this, when men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm. The one who hit her sh- sh- surely, sh- the one who hit her shall surely be fined, as a woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judge determines. Okay, so let's let's engage with this law. This is a law that the Israelite people would live by. There's a, a pregnant woman, and a man comes by and strikes that woman, and it forces her into labor. But there's no harm to the child. The child comes out, is healthy and strong. The man who hit her, according to the Mosaic law, is required to pay a fine for what he produced. But the law's not done there. The law continues. It says, but if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. You see, God in his law said, if a woman is pregnant and a man strikes her and it kills that pre-born child, that man must pay his life for that life. And we see as we study the scriptures all throughout the Bible, these are just two examples, we can easily come to a conclusion that God places a tremendous value on the pre-born life. It matters to God. It holds value. And what's, what's so interesting to me and so fascinating to me is if you just go back a couple years, right? You go to 2020 and 2021, right? Our culture and our world was faced with something very difficult. We had to navigate a, a global pandemic. And in that global pandemic, humanity had this mantra, rightfully so, that we will do whatever we can to protect all life. That we would do certain things to protect the elderly, that we would do certain things to protect our children, right? We will do whatever we can to protect the value of everyone's life. And in that journey, it seems like everybody forgot the preborn. Because look at this according to the World Health Organization, abortion was the leading cause of death in 2020, not COVID 19. It was now documented that 42 million babies were killed in the world in 2020. And I don't know if you're like me, it's hard to fathom 42 million. So let me put it into perspective for you. If you were to take 42 million seconds, right? One, two, three, four. And you were to count 42 million seconds, it would take you 486 days. And those children were killed by choice, not by some contagious disease. So as we study God's word, we see the value that God has placed on all life, that we are created in the image of God. But maybe you're here today and you would say, I understand your point, but I don't really care what God has to say. 
Maybe you're here and you're just like, listen, I, it makes sense if, if I'm following God, but I'm not sure I'm ready to even submit my life to, to God. Why would I want to know what he has to say? I'm more interested in what the medical and the scientific world has to say about life. And so I, I thought you might feel that way, and so I did some research. And let me just state the obvious before we dive in. I am not a doctor, and I am not a scientist. But when I did some research, I was actually very surprised at what I found. And so I went on this journey. I read a, a bunch of different uh, book articles and, and different things in, in the medical and scientific world. And what I was searching for is when does life begin? What does that look like in the medical and scientific world? And so I came to an article that is produced by Princeton University from a book called Life Before Birth. And here's what they say. It says, life begins at fertilization when the embryo's conception. Development of the embryo begins at stage one with a, when a sperm fertilizes an oocyte and together they form a zygote. Now, I will admit in all of my research, there was a lot of words that I had no clue what they meant. <laughs> but what stood out to me in this quote was life begins at fertilization. So that forced me to do a little bit more research, okay? If life begins at fertilization, according to science in the medical field, what is fertilization? And so I went to cell tissue research. And there's this paper published, uh, used by Princeton University that is producing cell, is, is giving research on cell tissue. And here's what they say. They say, fertilization is the process by which male and female haploid gametes, a sperm and an egg, unite. And when they unite, look at this, it says, what do they produce? A genetically distinct individual. That, that science in the medical industry, around 97% of it, actually seem to agree with God. That science says that life begins at conception. That when a male sperm and a female egg unite, what does that produce? A unique individual. It produces God knitting together a person designed specifically for his purpose. Science says that the unborn, the preborn, is a human being. Now as we look at all this research and what God has to say, it really leads to a conclusion for us. That as humanity, as Christians, we have a responsibility to speak up and to protect all life. Yes, the preborn child should matter to us, but really, all lives should matter to us. That every single individual in society is created in God's image, and therefore, they hold value from God Almighty. But I also realize that this conversation impacts a bunch of different groups of people, right? How it, it penetrates my life and your life, and so I wanna sensitively speak to a bunch of different groups of people. I'll start with maybe what I think is the majority. I would assume that the majority of the crowd here today would be in agreement with me. That you might even be saying, it's about time, Drew, we've been waiting for this message. And if I'm frank and I'm honest, when I speak to Christians who agree with me on this topic, this might be the most frustrating group. Because I think it's easy for many Christians to tell the world what they believe, but actually be a bigger part of the problem. And so let me ask you a question if you agree with me today. Do your actions match the level of your convictions? 
Here's what I know about so many people's lives is it's easy. It is so easy to run around on social media and with your platform and announce to the world that abortion is wrong. To vote that way and make people feel that way but really not be a part of the solution actually just make the problem even worse. Can I ask you if you agree with me today and be honest with yourself? Do women who are thinking about having an abortion know that you will stand with them, that you will be in their corner, to support them, to encourage them, to financially care for them, or do all they feel from you is your hate and your judgment and you declaring how could they even think about doing that? You see, what I would urge our church in this conversation is, is not just to stand against abortion, but to fight for every life involved in the equation. To fight, yes, for the preborn child who can't speak for themselves. Yes, to fight for the mother who has no clue what to do. To fight for the father who feels helpless and scared or might be absent to fight for every life in the equation because every life matters to God. But how, how do we do that? I think, honestly, many of us, we want to get involved, but we have no clue how to, and so it's just easier to type on social media that it's wrong. So what does this practically look like for us as a church to be a part of the solution? I think it starts by Christians just simply standing with women. By working with Compass Care to love and to help women navigate this incredibly difficult situation with your mouth and with your wallet and with your time. It means that we're gonna be willing to, to get involved in the foster care system. Do you realize that there are many children who weren't aborted who wander from house to house just hoping one day that they would have a home? So we get involved there as Christians. We fill in the gap, and so we become foster care parents. We support foster care parents. We partner with Hub 585, who's, who's keeping kids out of the foster care system and with their parents. We, we support women. We maybe are willing to become an adoptive family. Out of the recognition that God adopted me into his family and out of the love he had for me, I'd be willing to open up my home to a child who just wants a family. You know, at Northridge Church, we have an adoption fund. I get it, I've walked through this journey. Adoption is incredibly expensive. And so we've created a fund at Northridge Church for families who are willing to adopt to alleviate some of those costs. Because maybe one of the scariest things for women in this debate of whether to have an abortion or not is this wonder, what will my child's life be like if I choose to have him or her? What if the church stood in that gap? We will be there, and we will love you, and we will love your child. It's by working with some amazing partners that we have, like Compass Care, who every day walks and helps women in this journey, providing medical care. In fact, this week we're gonna release a podcast that really digs a little bit deeper into this conversation, and I'm gonna interview a nurse at Compass Care and one of their leadership uh, persons in that company, and it's gonna be a great conversation where we dive a little bit deeper. But if you agree with me today, my challenge for you is let your actions be louder than your voice. Let your voice be quieter than your actions. 
It is easy to tell the world where you stand. It is hard to be part of the solution because you have to do something. So let's be a part of the solution, church. But maybe you're here today and you disagree with me. You're here and, and, and it makes sense for people who follow God and you're like, eh, this makes sense. I understand where you land, but maybe you're here today and you're just like, listen, Drew, man, thanks for the talk, but I, I just find myself in a different place. I've heard both arguments. I just am not sure that I believe the preborn holds value. And the first thing, if, if, you, if that's you, the first thing I want you to know is I am so glad that you are here. We are honored to have you here at Northridge Church. And I just don't believe the lie in, in culture today that where we can disagree and still be friends. We can disagree and still have conversations. And so Northridge Church will always be a safe place for us who have questions and are trying to figure it out. And if you agree or disagree with us, this will always be a safe place for you to come and learn and grow about faith. But I do have a question for you if you do disagree with me. And my question is simple. If God is not the person who decides what life matter, who, what life has value, who decides what life has value? Who is the end-all, be-all, determining factor on whether my life or your life matters? And depending on who it is or who you deem it to be, if it's not God, at what point might they change their mind on you or me? At what point will they look at us when we get older and say, I'm not sure their life holds any value anymore? Who decides what life has value? Or maybe you're here today and you're pregnant. And honestly, you're in the midst of trying to figure out whether you're gonna have an abortion or not. You're here and you're in this really difficult situation. And here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that I believe in this church and it's not because we have nice fancy buildings but because of who this church is made up of. And if you're pregnant and you're trying to figure this out, I believe with my whole heart that this church will be there for you. To walk with you through this journey and our hope and, and my joy would be to help get you connected to the experts who navigate these decisions every day at Compass Care. And so if you are pregnant, if you go to Iwant.info, there's a banner that says, I want help with my pregnancy. And if you give us your information, we're going to connect you with the experts at Compass Care who will help you wrestle through all the nooks and crannies of this decision. And here's what I want you to know. We are here for you at Northridge Church. But lastly, and maybe most sensitively, maybe you're here today and you've had an abortion or you were a part of one. Maybe you made that choice to terminate your pregnancy or you helped encourage that or maybe you were a doctor or a nurse who has performed abortions. And if that's you, the first thing that I want you to know and the first thing that I want you to hear at Northridge Church is that you will not find judgment here. You will not find hate here. You will find what every single one of us needs. It is the grace of God. And I want you to hear the words of God to you and to me. First John 1, it says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us 
And not only is he faithful and just to forgive us, but he will purify us from all unrighteousness. And what I want you to know is this verse isn't just for you, it's for me and it's for everybody here. Because we are all wretched sinners with regret and sin in our past, but because of the grace of Jesus on that cross and through his resurrection, we can all find healing in his name. And the truth is today that God loves you the same despite the choices that you and I have made. His love has never changed for you. And I want you to know that that choice that you made does not define who you are. But I also recognize that with a choice that difficult comes a lot of pain, a lot of regret, and a lot of struggle. And if you are feeling the weight of that, my hope and my heart for you is that you would be able to experience healing. That here at Northridge Church, you would feel the loving embrace of this family and of God that would navigate you and lead you so you could find the healing that only God can give to you. And so here's my challenge for you. My hope, my encouragement to you is that you would help us, you you would allow us to help you in that journey. And I understand how, how courageous and how brave you have to be to even think about that. Because maybe for some of you, that choice that you made, nobody else knows about it. You've kept it secret. And you've been carrying that weight and that burden alone. And today, I want to offer you a trusted and a safe place to just talk about it. So here's what we've done. At any point during the week, today, you can go to iwant.info. And at this website, there's a banner at the top that says, I need help embracing God's forgiveness for my involvement in abortion. And it's gonna ask you for some information. And here's what I want you to know. Your privacy matters to us. And so when you fill that information out, here's what you need to know. It's only gonna go to one individual. That individual's name is Kristen Jameson. She attends our Webster campus and she is a member of our counseling team. And Kristen is gonna follow up directly with you and allow you to lead the journey of how healing can begin. So if that's you, I'd beg you, I'd encourage you to go to iwant.info. We are here to help you experience the grace of Jesus. And so let me close with these words. James chapter five, it says this. Is any among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is any among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them, anoint them with oil in the name of our Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You see, this conversation is heavy on our hearts. 
it's heavy on our nation. And it would be foolish for us to think as Christians that we can just somehow get involved and do the right thing and and somehow it would be the solution. No, the truth is the solution begins when the church, the followers of Jesus, find themselves on their knees begging and asking God to intervene in a place that only he can intervene in. To pray. And not to pray these generic prayers of dear Lord, end abortion, but let's get specific in how we pray. Let's be a church that prays for the women in our neighborhood and in our backyard and in our city that right now are trying to figure out if they should have an abortion or not. Let's pray for the children and the social workers in the foster care system. Let's pray for the child who doesn't have a home yet. Let's pray for the doctors and the nurses that on Monday morning are going to perform abortions. Let's pray for the men and women who are struggling with the decision they made in their past that they would find peace and healing. So church, that's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. So our bands are going to come and they're going to sing a song. And during this song, I would ask you to just show God how desperate you are for him to intervene, for him to bring healing to our neighborhoods and our city and our country. So at our physical physical locations, as our band sings, I would encourage you to pray at your seat. I'd encourage you to be bold enough to get out of your seat, to come to the front, to the sides, to the back, and and get on your knees and pray to God to move. And at at your home, to drop to your knees if you're watching in the car, to pray out loud in your car, wherever you are, to be a people who go to a place where only God can intervene. So let's pray to him. So our bands are gonna sing. Would you take a moment and pray?